Okay, that's all for announcements. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Exodus chapter 14. If you are a first-time guest with us this morning, uh, we have been making our way through the book of Exodus as a church, and this morning we come to one of the most well-known stories in all of Exodus, and in fact all of the Bible. And, And even if you are not super familiar with the book of Exodus, you are probably familiar with this story. Exodus 14 is the story of God parting the Red Sea and allowing Israel to cross safely through and escape the Egyptian army. And so if you, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this taught many times in Sunday school, but movies have also been made about this story. Uh, songs have been written with this as their theme, both Christian and secular songs. I, was, I, was at a, a bas- or I saw a basketball game the other day, and there was a a cheer that the crowd did where this one guy stood in front of the crowd and he raised his arms up and the, the kind of parted the, the two bleachers into two different sections and then ran up and down the two sections, which is theologically suspect. But, but there's, there's something about this story that seems to captivate people, right? It's this incredible story of rescue that has instilled hope and songs in people for thousands of years. In fact, throughout the Bible, this story is mentioned time and time again as it, as it points us towards our great God and his power to save. So let's read this story together and benefit from God's word this morning. Exodus chapter 14, we'll read the entire chapter. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi Haheroth between Migdal and the sea and in front of Baal Zephron. You shall camp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh shall say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, And they said, what is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him, and took 600 chosen chariots and all other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pi Herarth in front of Baal Zephron. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, 
Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness and it lit up the night without no one coming near the other all night. When Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. In the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging the chariot wheels so they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. As the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them to the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground. Through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. There is this roller coaster in Disneyland called Expedition Everest. And one of the terrifying features of this roller coaster is that it sends you racing into this dark mountainous cave and it shoots you out the other end around this blind curve to the left and as soon as you come out of this cave what you see before you is that the track in front of you has completely collapsed and just falls into this 200 foot drop off off the side of the mountain as you come out of this cave you have this quick moment of panic where you think i am going to die I'm going 80 miles an hour and there is no more track left in front of me. And if you had time to stop and think about it, you would probably come to the conclusion that surely they are not still operating this roller coaster if it plummets you off the side of the mountain. But in this brief moment, you don't have time to think, right? It's just this, this brief moment of panic where all you see in front of you is disaster. But that is because you did not design the ride. Right? You are just riding along in it. In reality, it does not fling you off the side of the mountain. It slows down at the last second. It takes you back down this path you didn't see before. It does not end in disaster. 
but you didn't, see, you didn't design the ride, so you don't see any of this. And I, I was thinking about this ride the other day as I was considering Israel's situation in this story. How as they, as they stood beside the edge of the Red Sea with no path clearly in front of them, it was just disaster everywhere they looked. But as we will see, it does not end in disaster. God is orchestrating these events as he does events in our own lives. Even events in our lives this past week, he, he, plans, he, he has plans that we do not see. And these plans often leave us needing to trust that God will work to make a way, which he does. And he does so in a marvelous way in this chapter. And the end result is Israel marveling at God's rescue. And my hope this morning, my prayer this morning is that we would do the same as we see God's rescue in our own lives this morning. Here's the the main idea of this message this morning. It's It's for the glory of his name, God has saved his people. For the glory of his name, God has saved his people. And we're gonna look at two points, both of them very simple. First, our need for salvation. And second, God's power to save. First, our need for salvation. So two weeks ago, we we left off in chapter 13. And we remember that, that Israel had just departed Egypt, right? After all they had gone through, all their years of captivity and all the plagues that God had sent upon Egypt, they are finally released from slavery and they begin their exodus away from Egypt and toward the promised land. Everything seems to be going so well in this moment. But then in chapter 14, God gives Israel a shocking command. In verses one through two, the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi Hararth, between Migdal and the sea. In front of Baal Zephron, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now if you're like me, and before this past week you didn't know a whole lot about ancient Egyptian geography, this this verse might not sound super shocking to you, but it is. I, I did some research this week and And while we don't know the exact location of all these locations in in these verses, it's clear that each of these places represent a significant stronghold near the nation of Egypt, who they are desperately trying to get away from, right? Migdal, mentioned in verse 14, is most likely an Egyptian fort. And so what God is saying here is he's saying, turn around and go back towards Egypt and camp in between Egypt, this Egyptian fort, and the Red Sea. This is not a good idea, church. You don't have to be a military strategist to understand this, right? Right over here is the Red Sea blocking your path forward, and then over here is the most powerful army in the world that you are desperately trying to get away from. And God says, hang out here for a little bit and just kind of face your enemies. And if you're Israel, you're probably thinking, God, this doesn't seem like a great idea to us. God is orchestrating events here that seem very uncertain and very dangerous. And panic starts to set in. Trust in God starts to crumble in this moment and we we start to see in this moment stark examples of the sinfulness of the human heart. 
which we can all relate to this morning. And it begins with Pharaoh. Verses five through six, as the story continues, it says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this that we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with them. So Pharaoh, he sees the Israelites just kind of hanging out in the desert and he decides that he's gonna go recapture them. Which is crazy, church. Think of all that had just happened in the previous chapters. All those plagues that had brought devastation on the nation of Egypt. The darkness, the diseases, the death of the livestock, the death of Pharaoh's firstborn son. For all of these years, Pharaoh refused to let Israel go. And so God came close to wiping out the entire nation of Egypt until Pharaoh finally agreed to let them go, right? All this had just happened. These are not distant memories, right? This is all fresh in the Egyptians' minds. And now, Pharaoh is about to go capture Israel all over again. And I I just have to wonder if at some point in the army's preparations, somebody would have gone to Pharaoh and said, hey, uh, don't mean to bother you, Pharaoh, but um, all those times over the past few months where God almost wiped out our entire country because you would not let the Egyptians go or the Israelites go, this plan now to go recapture them again, that might not go well for us, Pharaoh, right? But Pharaoh is not deterred. His heart is not changed. And, and that is the sinfulness of the human heart, right? How often do we return to sin and our own rebellion against the Lord knowing that it will not satisfy, that it will not go well for us? And that's what Pharaoh is doing. It's, it's madness. Sin in hardness of heart against God is madness, right? He had so quickly forgotten the power of God and God's commitment to deliver his people. And Pharaoh is just full head of steam here towards ruin all over again. But of course, that's that's what we would expect of Pharaoh, right? This is the wicked ruler of this wicked nation, so we would expect him to quickly forget about God and just go do what he wants, right? But let's turn our attention back now to this chapter and let's, let's check in with the Israelites and see if maybe they are doing a better job of remembering who their God is. Spoiler alert, they are not. (laughs) Verses 10 through 12 says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. That is quite a response from Israel, right? In one sense, we can can understand Israel's reaction here, right? They, They are in a very dangerous situation, right? Behind them is the mightiest army in the world. So they they are surrounded by enemies. They are surrounded by troubles. And many of us here this morning come this morning surrounded by troubles. 
Before Israel is the Red Sea, raging waters from which there is no escape, right? From which there is no clear path forward. And how often have we felt that, right? Not only is is the path forward a difficult one, but we do not even see clearly the path forward. And so it's understandable that they are anxious about their situation, right? But, but instead of looking to God for help, they only look to their enemies in fear. And haven't we also been there, right? We can relate to this. We can relate to Israelites in this, but, but even though we can relate to them, it's, it's still so disappointing to see the reaction, knowing all that God has done for them. Think of the deliverance that Israel has experienced so far, all the ways that he has showed himself to be mightier than Pharaoh and mightier than the gods of Egypt, right? And they they were confident about this when they left Egypt, right? In verses eight, we see them confidently, defiantly marching out of Egypt, filled with hope in God. But then at the first sign of trouble that they experience, that confidence starts to crumble away. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. It is, it is alarming how quickly we can forget the promises of God, isn't it? How quickly we can fall into fear. How, how we can experience a season of blessing, but then trials come and we forget God's promises. Maybe here this morning and and God's been doing a great work in your life. Perhaps you even gave your life to Christ recently or perhaps God is helping you in this season to to overcome sin in a significant way. He's been doing this great work in your life. But even this week, maybe Satan is trying to steal away that confidence, steal away your faith and you're surrounded by enemies and, and maybe here this morning struggling with hard thoughts about God. You can remember ways that he has been good to you in the past, but now all you see in front of you is just the difficulties. And like Israel, in these moments, we ourselves often want to return to Egypt. Verse 12, is this not what you said? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. When, when difficulties surround us, how often we are quick to return to unhealthy things that we run to for temporary comfort in times of trouble. Old harmful relationships, sinful attitudes, addictions, food, other things, other sins that we, we seek to find security in in times of trouble. But these things never actually help, right? And like Egypt, they they only serve to just entrap us all over again. And the reason that we, like Israel, are so quick to return to Egypt is because our vision of God is often far too small. See, See, Israel surveyed their situation and they saw only two possibilities. First, they could either surrender to the Egyptian and return as slaves, or they could be slaughtered in the desert. In spite of all that God had done for them, the only two options they considered were serve Egypt or die, right? 
But we know Israel's history as well as they do, and we kind of just want to yell at the Israelites, how about the possibility that God could rescue you? Right? Don't forget so quickly who your God is. Remember all that took place in Egypt, Israel, all the years of oppression. Don't go back there. Remember the marvelous way that God has delivered you. There's so much evidence of his ability to provide for you and rescue you. The most reasonable thing for Israel to do is to cry out to God for deliverance, right? And, and to their credit, Israel does cry out to God. They, they got that part right, kind of, right? But, but their cries don't resemble any type of faith in God. But listen to what they say. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What a thing to say to the Lord, right? Their cries are almost mocking towards God. Even as they cried out to God, they forgot who their God was. They, they forgot his heart for them. Here's something that's so important, church. When, when we face trials in this life, we need to know that, that God does indeed invite us to cry out to him. Right? Trusting in God does not mean that we should not express our grief and our fears and our sorrows. One of the beautiful things about the Bible is that it is filled with raw emotion, right? Think of Job. Think of the Psalms. They are filled with desperate cries out to God in times of trouble. Psalm 42 I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with the deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Those are words of scripture, church. It's not wrong to cry out to God. It's not wrong to ask him, why is this happening? This doesn't seem right. These trials surrounding me are great. And they seem too great for me to handle. I don't know how this could work out for my good, God. You say you are a loving God, and yet this incredibly difficult thing is happening in my life, and I do not understand. Where are you in this, God? It's not wrong to cry out to God with these questions. God invites us to. The great heroes of the faith have all done so. But, but even as we cry out to God, we must also call our souls to faith in God. The psalm continues the very next verse. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, Israel cried out to God, but their, their cries lacked a remembering who God was. He said there are only two options here. We go back to Egypt or we die in the desert. But that way of thinking discounts everything that they should know about God. There is a third possibility that God is mighty and that he can rescue them. Israel needed to be saved from Egypt, yes. Their enemies had them surrounded, threatening to enslave them again. But what Israel also needed to be saved from was their slavery to fear. from the slavery of their quickness to give up and go back to Egypt. They need to be saved from their inability to trust in God. They need to be saved from their failure to serve God in the midst of those trials, right? They had Egypt over here. 
They had the Red Sea over here, but they had their own sinful hearts right with them. And they needed deliverance from that as well. As did all of us here in this room, right? But church, God is mighty to save from all of those things. And he has been mighty to save. He is faithful even when we are unfaithful. He is merciful and he makes a way, church. Which leads to our second point, God's power to save. So here's Israel. They're they're trapped by the Red Sea. They're surrounded by their enemy. It's hopeless, right? Things do not look good. But as is so often the case, it's in moments like this, these, these desperate moments, that God does his best work, right? And shows himself to be mighty in his power and his glory. And that's what happens here at the Red Sea. The next few verses, the Moses said to the Lord, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. That's a great verse, church. That's a great verse. But if you're Israel, and you're thinking just in military terms, that's not actually that great sounding advice, right? They're surrounded by the world's most powerful enemy, Their their options seem pretty limited, but just standing firm and remaining silent doesn't seem like one of the better options, right? But as we will see, faith in God is not ultimately about what we can do to rescue ourselves. It's about what God will do and what God has done. Of course, God does call us to action, right? The, The Christian life is not just standing still, but sometimes, often, What we really need to do is is stand firm in our hope in God and trust that he is able to work for good even if we do not know how. But that's the hardest thing in the world sometimes to do when life seems to be crumbling around us, right? To just wait, to trust, to stand firm in the faith. Charles Spurgeon says, you will think it a very easy thing to stand still but it is one of the postures which a Christian learns not without years of teaching. To stand at ease in the midst of tribulation shows a veteran spirit, long experience, and much grace. I think that is so true, church. I think that often in this life, God allows us and and he even brings us to places where we are made aware that we need him more than anything else in this life. We need his wisdom We need his strength, we need his deliverance, we need his presence in our lives. And isn't this so often how God works, right? Rarely does God take us down the route that we would have chosen for ourselves, right? Look back at your life. Maybe even just look back at this past week. Probably none of us would say, yes, God, that is how I would have done it, right? Maybe even this morning, you you would look at your circumstances and you say, I don't like this, God. I don't understand. I I don't see your goodness in these things. But here's something that's so important for us this morning, church, that we see here in our story. The, The presence of the army of Egypt and the Red Sea entrapping Israel and the difficulties of our lives that those things represent 
They are not signs of God's unfaithfulness to his people. God has led them there. He led them there very intentionally by his mercy, by his grace. God led them there that his power to save might be seen. Verse 4 says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Not only the Egyptians, but Israel too. God is often at work in ways that we do not fully understand. God sees things, church, that we don't see. And often God is working, allowing enemies to surround us so that our only option is to look to him and to stand firm in the hope that he will work for our good. And there there are moments in life where the best action for a child of God to take is to cry out to God and to stand firm in the faith and trust God to be our help. And he helps, church. He does. And we see this in a marvelous way in our story here. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And all the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And I won't read the whole rest of the chapter, but but we know how the story goes, right? The Israelites walk across on dry land, and the Egyptians foolishly follow after them, and as soon as all of Israel has reached safety, God releases the walls of the water and drowns the entire sea and the entire army of Egypt so that not one of them remains. It's an amazing display of God's power to save his people. Now there are some over the years who have, who have sought to question the miraculous nature of this event or, or what specific part of the Red Sea they crossed over and, and some suggest that it wasn't really the Red Sea but it was another sea called the Reed Sea which is similar in translation in, in the Hebrew and, and perhaps what really happened is that the Israelites just crossed through this marshy section after the God had caused this this strong wind to to bring a low tide. And these explanations, they they seek to explain the story in natural ways while discounting the power of God. But of course, this doesn't actually make sense given what the text says, right? It speaks of walls of water being built up around them. It speaks of them walking across on dry land. It speaks of the entire army of Egyptian being drowned. There's this, there's a story I heard. I've heard a number of different versions of it, so I'm not sure that it's true, but I hope it is. It's a good story. But the story goes that there was this, there was this young girl in Sunday school class, and they were going through the story of the Red Sea, and the little girl said, Praise the Lord. What an amazing God. He could send the Israelites through the Red Sea on dry ground. And the teacher said, Well, well, you don't understand it. It really wasn't the Red Sea. It was some other little body of water that had a low tide and, and the wind blew through it and the, the, whole, Israelite, the whole Israelite nation just, just passed through in about six inches of water. To which the little girl responded, that's amazing. Praise the Lord. God drowned an entire Egyptian army in six inches of water. <laughs> right? That story probably isn't true, but it's a humorous illustration of you cannot read Exodus 14 and not see the miraculous power of God to intervene. 
This is not a story to be explained away by natural events. It is the story of God's unmatched power. His power is seen in the massive walls of water being built up around Israel as the mighty hand of God controls his creation. His power is seen when it is when all seems lost. It is then that God intervenes to save his people. His power is seen that the greatest army in the world was destroyed and Israel didn't even have to lift a finger. His power is seen in this story. And church, this this might be an, an old story to us. It might be familiar to us. But this morning, look at this story with fresh eyes to see the power of God to save. He is a deliverer. It's what he does for his people, church. And I, and I would argue that your joy this morning, your courage to follow Christ this week, your strength to endure trials, it hinges on your confidence that God is mighty to deliver. And God's word itself is determined that we would not forget that, or that we would ever cease to be amazed by that. That's, that's why this story is recounted again and again and again in the Bible. In fact, you could, you could make an argument that the, the crossing of the Red Sea was seen as the, the central redemptive event on that side of the cross. The story that God's people look to for confidence in God's deliverance. Exodus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, the Psalms, Isaiah, they all speak to this event as a testimony to God's faithfulness. And the New Testament does the same thing. Matthew, Luke, 1 Corinthians, Hebrews, they they recall the crossing of the Red Sea and they call us to hope in God. But the New Testament does this with the benefit of us being on this side of the cross, this side of redemptive history where we have experienced the saving, delivering power of the gospel. And church, where I wanna end this morning is by looking at how this story points us towards that even greater deliverance. In the New Testament, this story points us towards Christ and his victory on the cross, a victory which we are experiencing and walking in even this morning, church. Luke chapter nine, the the deliverance of the Red Sea is compared to what Christ accomplishes through his death and resurrection, where Christ goes on his exodus, endures our trials, and then conquers the grave and the cross. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul mentions Israel passing through the Red Sea and compares that to our faith in Christ and and our baptism into that faith. The, The whole Bible looks to Exodus 14 as a paradigm for our salvation. How we are to be saved from things that enslave us and would seek to kill us. However, for us, This passage is not so much about future troubles that God will save us from, but rather a salvation that we have already received, church. Consider with me this morning the salvation that we have received in Christ. How merciful God has been with us. How undeserving we are of God's intervention. How it says in the Psalms, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. It's all mercy 
that Israel walked on dry ground. It's all mercy that the waters did not come crashing down on them. They were such complainers. They were such idolaters. It wasn't because of their faithfulness that they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. It was because of God's mercy. Consider how apart from Christ, we were all like Israel. And not only like Israel, we were like Pharaoh. Our hearts were hardened. Our thoughts were rebellious against God and our affections were for other gods. Do you realize how dead in your sins and hopeless you were apart from Christ? We were born into this world dead in our sins. No one does good. No one seeks after God. None is righteous. The thoughts of our hearts continually evil all the time. Consider how the walls of the Red Sea and the judgment of the Lord should have been coming, crashing down on us. And yet here we are this morning, church, on dry land. The Red Sea behind us. Our enemies, sin and Satan and death, have been drowned Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. This is definitive deliverance, church. The waters return and cover the chariots and the horsemen, all the host of Pharaoh that followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. So it is with our enemies, church. Your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. Satan has no power to condemn you. You will never see God's judgment. You will never experience separation from God. You will never know God's wrath. There is no more wrath for you left. He will never shame you. He will never leave you. He will never harm you. And the reason for this, church, is that the judgment that fell on the Egyptians. The judgment that we ourselves deserved has fallen on Christ in our place. While we walked out safely from the Red Sea, Christ walked into it. And a torrent of God's wrath and judgment fell on him. In our place, condemned Christ stood. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. If you belong to Christ, you have experienced miraculous power of deliverance, every grit, every bit as marvelous as the parting of the Red Sea. He has given you a new heart, church. He has clothed you with righteousness. He has opened your blind eyes. He has inclined your heart towards things of glory and of Christ. This this chapter ultimately points not just to what God can do in our lives, but to what he has already done. And so this week, church, stand firm in that hope. Hope in God who is able to deliver you from your troubles. But even more, church, hope in the deliverance that you have already received. I'll close with the last two verses of this chapter. Thus says the Lord, or thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. 
And so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Let's pray.